Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Years ago, H.G. Wells visualized roads such as these in his science fiction fantasies. And today, they're a reality. You're listening to The Afternoon Commute. Welcome to the Afternoon Commute with Chris Kendall and John Adams. Today is Wednesday, June 3rd, 2015, and today we have author-researcher Alex Abeya with us. Alex Abeya is most known for his work in 2008, The Soldiers of Reason, The Rand Corporation, and The Rise of the American Empire. Alex, how are you doing today? Thank you for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, I read your book in about 2009, 2010, somewhere around there, and uh, I really found it fascinating. There was a lot of information that I had previously come across, and some of it, uh, or actually a lot of it, that I hadn't heard of before and it confirmed a lot of suspicions that I have. But I think an interesting question to start off with that I think our uh, listeners would uh, find interesting from you is, how did you? How were you allowed the opportunity to uh, peruse the Rand Corporation documents? Well, um, I uh, proposed it to them. I had a friend of mine who was um, in with the uh, Rand uh, people. Um, that's about as far as I want to go right now. And uh, he proposed it, so I went to the public relations people. The public relations people then forwarded to the board. To the board, the board then forwarded to the president, or. Maybe to the president and to the board, and then they took a vote, and uh, then they decided that yeah they would let me do it. And when they, you know, everything in RAM is numerical; it's a numbers approach based to reality. Uh, and, um, and when when my proposal was put in, the uh, board voted on it, and apparently I got like the second highest number of votes uh, that uh, any project that they had been approached with had ever received. Uh, but uh, one of them, one of the dissenting votes, said uh, that, you know, this is either the smartest move or the dumbest move that uh, this organization has ever made. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I, they, they agreed to do all this, to let me go in and, and interview people. They were very cooperative. They opened up their files. And uh, they just, you know, let me go in uh, as long as, you know, they were able to, to see what it was that I had done, but without any particular um, editing of it, so um, they just open up out their doors, and you know, for that I really commend them. Yeah, that's a that's a real interesting. I was wondering um, for our listeners. Um, I, I think a lot of people who listen to this probably have heard of the Rand Corporation. Uh, maybe you could, but uh, maybe they don't know exactly what it is. Maybe you could give it like a brief kind of synopsis of what the Rand Corporation is, and then tell the audience about your book sure well uh, uh, the book is called as you said soldiers of reason the rank operation and the rise of the American Empire and I titled it like that because uh, 
for decades, the Rand Corporation was the most influential think tank in the United States, if not in the whole world. Um, now, think tank, as you know, is an organization that devotes itself to thinking through problems, uh, to come up with solutions for usually for public policy or it could be for private industry. Uh, the Rand Corporation is uh, headquartered in Santa Monica and originally was an adjunct of the, uh, of the Air Force. Uh, it was founded uh, in the late 40s uh, to develop new weapons uh, for the Air Force. Uh, this was uh, at the end of World War II. Uh, General Hap Arnold uh, thought that uh, the same kind of um, um, spirit of, of cooperation and, uh, between private industry and the government that had come up with the atomic bomb should continue after the war to continue and uh, to provide the government you know, with new weapons and, 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 and for the defense of the country. So they started something called the RAND Project or the RAND Corporation. It wasn't a corporation at the time, it was just the RAND. RAND meaning uh, research and development. Nobody could come up with a name. The name was supposed to be temporary, but it wound up being permanent. So um, within a couple, they were, they were at an adjunct as well of uh, the uh, Douglas uh, Aircraft Company, and they were sited out there in, um, in, uh, near Santa Monica. Uh, then the problem was that um, Douglas Aircraft, after a while, found that because of its association with RAND, that it wasn't getting any uh, the kind of government contracts that it wanted. So therefore, they and RAND decided to split and become its own private uh, corporation, nonprofit, uh, with the help of a grant from the Ford Corporation, and, and incorporated in 1948. Uh, and uh, to develop a policy of, you know, of uh, thinking through issues uh, for public policy. However, for most of the next 15, 20 years, uh, the bulk of its work was a national defense, and the Rand Corporation was extremely influential in a number of fields, uh, among them nuclear strategy for the United States, uh, on, on systems analysis, on game theory, um, and it was behind the uh, the election of John F. Kennedy. Uh, it revolutionized its people. Went into the Pentagon and revolutionized you know the way that the Pentagon conducted its business and the armed forces. And it also came up with something which I think is the most important contribution: uh, rational choice uh, doctrine uh, or theory, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and all these things were extremely important, uh, and so therefore it was really at the heart, at the heart of the U.S. government. Uh, it was almost like uh, the Jesuits, let's say, uh, were back in the 17th and 18th century. Um, and uh, but um, come the Vietnam War, their 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 focus started shifting, and the influence started diminishing. But then there came also another. Uh, silver Age, so to speak, uh, during the um, Reagan uh, the Reagan administration, and afterwards during the Bush, the, uh, the second, the W, George W. Bush administration, and they're still around. They're still very influential, uh, but um, I guess they're just getting ready for the next Republican president. Hello. Oh, Chris. Uh huh. Yeah. Well. Uh it, it, you said that they were funded by the uh, Ford Corporation, or is that that's correct? 
or is it well what happened it, what happened is that um when they um decided to uh, break away from uh, Douglas and to you know have their own private uh, corporation they received a grant from the Ford Foundation to uh, yeah. be able to do that so as to pay their salaries uh and to actually you know find a place where they could uh, be headquartered until they started getting contracts from the government so they were um set up mainly to uh as a uh well I, i'm trying to th- think how to phrase this question properly they they're more or less preoccupied with um how policy re- relates to the uh, military is that sort right. of the main at the beginning right at the beginning yeah. their focus was almost strictly all military uh, it wasn't until the 1960s that they started then shifting away from military to social uh, social work in the sense of um, uh, medicine and education and foreign affairs and as distinct from uh, the uh, defense work that they have been doing for decades. But even to this date, uh, about 50% of the work that they do is from the government and is strictly classified. Uh, so in a way, you know, we really don't know what... The, the hidden side of the round moon is. We only know what, what shines in the sunlight of, of the public, you know, the public eye. But we don't know what's on the other side because it's classified. And, and it would still be mostly comprised of members of the military and probably, you know, for, for military um, sort of methodologies and, and purposes. Is, would that, well, I, would that be I would correct? say that well, in a way, I mean, I would say that um, they have, they have, um, 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 because of their because of their past, they have more of a tendency to align themselves with the the military in a way. For instance, um, a new trustee in their board is former U.S. Secretary of Defense Chuck Hagel, mm-hmm. right? So he goes from being in the Defense Department to being in the board of trustees of RAND. Uh, the same thing happened with, uh, has happened with other uh, secretary, of, of, like Rumsfeld, for instance, who was the chairman of the board of RAND. Uh, and then a few years later, then became secretary of defense. So there's that uh, connection to the uh, Department of Defense that has existed ever since the creation of RAND, um, which, you know, if you contrast it to other uh, think tanks, um, then it, it's it's glaring the the like the difference in approach. Uh, for instance, uh, take the Brookings Institution. Um, you know, and all you have to do is like go to different websites. You know, you go to the RAND websites, and you know the stuff that they're they're putting out there is like, uh, for instance, they have a, an article study on mileage-based user fees. Uh, they have another one on sexual assault in the Coast Guard and uh, also in a new military doctrine called the Third Offset. Well, you go to the Brookings Institution website, and, you know, they have uh, an, uh, an article on uh, the discussion of the Baltimore riots and how to create opportunities uh, for society, how to govern from the middle, and how to create more equality. Uh, and, of course, one of their major uh, figures over there is the, the writer Richard Reeves, who has been in all kinds of, you know, democratic, has been associated with democratic causes for, for decades. So that's that's the contrast the, between the two. That's why right now, Rand is not really as prominent as it was during the Bush years, 
when Rumsfeld, at one time, when he came back and he was Secretary of Defense, uh, and he sat there during the meeting of the RAND people, and he said, oh, I feel like, you know, it's a homecoming for me, because everybody there was from, from, was from RAND. Um, so, uh, it's, so it's a different approach, so to speak. What, um, can you tell the audience uh, about rational theory and uh, how, I'll, I'll give you an example. I think personally that like things like RANDs, uh, just from the information that I got from your book and I developed my own uh, you know, kind of thought about what these think tanks do, and a lot of it, you know, I, I heard you in an interview one time, um, I think somebody had asked, uh, asked you and you, they uh, had asked you if they believe, if like Rand Corporation believes that the Americans are their enemy, right? You remember that? Uh, sort of. Yeah, um. and then, then you, you gave a, a much better answer than that, I thought, because you said that they kind of look at you as a peon and that they, that they're kind of, you know, helping you out by whatever it is that they're doing. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they actually think of, you know, Americans as the enemy. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I don't even think that, uh, let me put it this way. The Rand Corporation is there to develop policy that will be used for the public good, and it will be put in the hands of those who can actually exert those changes. So it isn't that it is for the stakeholders, which would be the voting public, uh, the different uh, people who are involved in whatever the problem might be. What they want to do is come up with a policy that then they can get, take it and, 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 and take it to those who wield power so as to make those things happen. That's why I've compared them to the Jesuits. Now, what they do have, like, I, like I've been mentioning, is that they have this rational, hyper-rational approach to reality, so, uh, which is very numerically based. So, uh, and it, that's, that is a consequence of uh, their, uh, uh, their long history of involvement in things like systems analysis, which they invented, uh, in game theory, and above all, the major contribution to uh, modern civilization, which is rational choice theory. Now, now, rational choice, you know, was developed as an alternative to Marxism. Uh, and for that, to, to understand all this, you have to go back to the late 1940s. Even though we had won the war, it's, it seemed to a lot of people around the world that Marxism was the future, that communists were going to take over the world. And that's why so, people, so many people in the U.S. were so concerned uh, about, you know, so-called communist infiltration and about spies and uh, communists in, uh, in Hollywood and, and everywhere. And they, were seeing, they were seeing red everywhere. So, and some really prominent commentators felt that, you know, communism was, was the future. And the way to, to combat it, the United States decided, is that uh, they had to come up with a version of history that eliminated, you know, the old Marxist dogma, you know, from each according to his ability and to each according to his needs. And that doctrine, which is elaborated around in 1950, was called rational choice. And its main proponent was a 29-year-old economist named Kenneth Arrow. And he developed something that's called uh, uh, Arrow's Impossibility Theorem, or Arrow's Paradox. Basically, what it said, uh, what it did, basically, more than what it said, what it did is that it destroyed the idea that the collective will was the supreme arbiter of human uh, actions, and that instead it was the individual that was to be the, the arbiter of the actions that government was going to take. And, you know, and thus, 
uh, it substituted uh, it came the public uh, with consumers. Uh, instead of you know uh, of being citizens, you are consumers. Uh, instead of having uh, responsibilities, you have liabilities. And instead of being government, it's policymaking. Uh, so it's a different approach to reality, and it's all very rational in its perspective because it, it says that humans are all rational. That is, that when you have a choice between different things, you will do that which is the most rational to do, which obviously we know is ridiculous, but anyhow, let's take that for granted. And also uh, follow a whole number of assumptions. And what he came up with was something that in real life seems, seems incredible, which says that, that that a collective decision is not valid because it's always the tyranny of the majority over the minority. And therefore, the only thing that counts is what the minority, what the individual thinks. And it's like, in a way, it's almost ironic that it's almost like a paraphrase of Ayn Rand, what, she's, what she had in her books. Uh, and so this is what they used in order to, to uh, thwart uh, the, the designs of the Soviet Union to subvert uh, American democracy and capitalism, the capitalist system. Uh, but what it did, by, by its consequences, is that it also eliminated a lot of things that we have always taken for granted, which is religion. So after all, you know, religion is not rational. Then it also eliminated as well uh, patriotism, because it, it says that yeah, it says that politicians are self-motivated uh, people who only seek their own aggrandizement instead of acting for the good of the people. Uh, and also said that what really counts is not so much your responsibilities and duties as it is your choices uh, and your selections uh, as being a consumer. And, you know, and that's, in a way, the rationale that's used, for instance, uh, for, um, for um, charging you more whenever you go down the street, uh, whenever you use a particular street at a particular time, right, like you go downtown, like, uh, therefore, if you park at a particular time, it's going to cost you more than other times, uh, charging you for uh, for a number of things, because it's believed that if since everything is rational, everything is numbers-based, so therefore, that is the way that you appeal to people, instead of appealing to a sense of patriotism or, or, or a kind of cohesion that is not numerically based. Yeah, healthcare as well, right? Well, that's right, because you know, yeah, the Rand Corporation was involved in a very large um, medical um, uh, study, and that determined that you know that um, uh, healthcare would not be affected, uh, the health of the public, the you know, public would not be affected if uh, if uh, we had deductibles. Before the Rand Corporation study was finished, I think on less than a third of all medical plans had deductibles. Then after the study was concluded and it came to the conclusion that apparently health care does not suffer if people actually have to pay deductibles and that people do not use more or less uh, health services if they have to pay a deductible, then everybody uh, started following that because they said, oh, it's, it's all right now. Nothing's going to happen. So now every time that you pay a deductible, remember, you have rent to thank for that. <laughs> yeah, you said yeah. that... Uh the modern computer satellite, the first satellite to orbit, and the internet all came out of the Rand Corporation. Is that correct? Right, right, exactly. In the first few years, during uh, one of the first projects that it, that Rand uh, presented to the Air Force was a plan, you know, for installing satellites uh, around 
the world, obviously, and uh, and developed them quite well. But it was shelved because there wasn't enough money for it. But you know, it predated what uh, Sputnik, which is you know the first satellite into space, uh, put up by the Russians in the mid 1950s. Uh, and, and then um, there was a RAND scientist as well who was involved in packet switching. As you know, in the Internet, you have packets of information uh, that's, that are broken up, and they can you know, reach their destination by different uh, routes instead of going directly linear, uh, as it was pre- previously with uh, the telephone company, with the telephone wires. And that would develop in case of a nuclear attack. So, like, we'd be able to actually respond and be able to mount our counteroffensive against our enemies in case that the uh, telephone lines were destroyed. And that became that 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 um, invention of you know packets uh, was one of the foundations of the internet. Yeah. Um, now, what I was going to say uh, before was. Uh um, you know, you had, uh, <coughs> pardon me, the, you know, I think that RAND is mostly used to uh, develop, like, kind of psychological warfare techniques, and what, what I was saying when, um, that you had it right in that previous interview, we, when they said they kind of treat the pe- people more like peons uh, and less like the enemy, I think you were correct. Um, but I, I think that they kind of view the world or, you know, the country or whatever as kind of a laboratory and that they're experimenting with a, with a whole bunch of different scenarios that, ha- that bear more impact socially, um, even in the ones that, you know, were allegedly for, you know, Cold War warfare. Because I, I, from my viewpoint, the Cold War was pretty contrived. It wasn't even a real threat. And um, well, I, 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 I have to disagree with you there. I mean that we did have a major nuclear threat uh, from the Soviet Union. Uh, that's one of the things that Rand uh, got, got, became famous for. It, it came up with something called the Basing Study, uh, and one of the, and and that was developed by one of the main figures in the history of Rand, Albert Wolstetter who was a mathematician, a former commie who then, you know, went to the, to the, went all the way to the right like a lot of, you know, neo, neoconservatives, uh, and he came up with the basing study which, which showed that uh, the Soviet Union at that time would have been able to, would have been able to stage a Pearl Harbor kind of attack on the United States and would have wiped, the, would have wiped out the entire nuclear capability of the United States had they chosen to do so. And nobody had realized that at the time. Uh, and because most of the uh, nuclear, um, uh, our nuclear defense strategy was based on bombers, and therefore they were been able to come in and actually destroy most of the bombers, uh, and that's what really gave a lot of uh, impetus to the reputation of Iran and the government, and that was called the basing study. Uh, so we did have that problem with the Soviet Union. Remember, we, we go back to the 1950s. Uh, we do, we did have a country, the, the Soviet Union, that was that was intent on world domination. There's there's no doubt about that. Whether by peaceful or bellicose means, it did want to control the world completely from Moscow. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and it did have the nuclear capability. In addition to that, we had nobody inside the Soviet Union, inside the Kremlin, 
not not until not until not up uh, until the 1950s. That was uh, mid 1950s. I was able to give us like really an insight as to what was going on in there. I mean, people used to look at pictures of where Stalin was standing during the parades in uh, Red Square to determine who was in power, who was closest to Stalin, who held more sway within the government. That's how ridiculous things were. You know, these are the criminologists. Uh, of which, by the way, Rand was like one of the major uh, headquarters for that as well. So uh, we did have that problem. Now, the way that it developed later on uh, into the late 1950s under Eisenhower, the way that it was exacerbated as well by Kennedy, by McNamara, and by other people, then I uh, there and then you might have a point there. But definitely during the late 1940s. Mid and into the mid fifties, I think that the United, uh, the Soviet Union, did pose an existential threat to the United States. Um, well, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to debate that because I, <laughs> I, I do have a lot of respect for you as a journalist. But, um, uh, but what do you think about the psych warfare tactics that uh, a lot of these studies um, seem to? Uh, you know, be played well, out. Be played out on the public. So Rand has been doing um, psychological studies ever since the 1950s. Matter of fact, uh, they first started doing them. Um, heck, when when Rand was formed, they had a psychology department as well, and they were studying the psychology of uh, pilots in the Air Force. They were studying the psychology of the enemy. That's why, after all, you know, they were criminologists. Uh, you know, people who studied the Kremlin within Rand. Um, and then, uh, of course, they were very much uh, involved in the Vietnam War as well, because they did a Vietnam study uh, of the Viet Cong that was, you know, given to uh, President Johnson, who shelved it and said he didn't care what, what the study said. And then they were also involved in the whole question of, of counterinsurgency. Uh, a number of figures working within Rand came up with that concept, and which, you know, and part of that, obviously, is psychological studies to see how people would react under certain conditions of extreme pressure, uh, and I'm sure they continue with those. I mean, that is part and parcel of counterinsurgency, which, you know, was, was used in, uh, uh, in Iraq, and I'm sure they're using it right now with ISIS. On the uh, Rand, Rand Corporation site right now, I've just taking a look at it and uh yeah they have a lot of uh like here's one headline what what, uh what effect does the media have on youth uh mental health issues and illness most california residents facing psychological distress do not see the public as supportive so it it definitely seems that they're one of the one of their main interests is in uh psychology and and um oh yes absolutely like i said yes Right. After, after the Vietnam War, uh, well, at the end of the conclude, at the conclusion of the Vietnam War, and especially after the Pentagon Papers, which is, you have, you have to, you, you do recall what the Pentagon Papers were, right? Daniel Ellsberg, who got, you know, all the, the whole history of how Vietnam came to be. Yeah, he worked for, he worked for Rand Corporation. That's right. Matter of fact, that's how, that's how he got to, he got his hands on the Pentagon Papers. Because he was the guy who was in charge of the Pentagon Papers. It was a study that had been commissioned by the Pentagon. So after that came out, and it, it turned out that RAM was the place from where those, uh, those documents had been stolen and published under Nixon, uh, RAM almost, almost went under. Uh, the government practically shut down all its uh, contracts with them. 
uh, and um, the way that they survived that period, uh, to a very large degree, was by turning away, to a very large degree, from government work as much as they could. Uh, so instead of you know having 80, 90 percent of the budget uh, 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 coming from defense work, they started then branching out into uh, the civil side, uh, doing uh, studies for New York City, for instance, urban studies, uh, and for um, housing and, and urban development. Uh, and also getting into the field of medicine and into uh, the field of psychology. And so they have been, been approaching uh, that, uh, those fields ever since then and actually have been, you know, quite, quite uh, successful. Uh, but once again, I mean, that's because those fields lend themselves to the kind of uh, numerical uh, fact-based analysis that RAN does and does very well. Uh, and so you go to the website, yeah, that's part of, that's, that's, that's a great deal of what they do. But like I said, a great deal of it also has to do with, uh, with defense work, you know, some connection to defense, whether it be ISIS or whether it be uh, Putin and what he's doing now, or China, or like I said before, developing an, yet a new, uh, doctrine, military doctrine, just like they didn't come up with, but they certainly implemented the doctrine of shock and awe, you remember that, right? We were supposed right. to bring um, Saddam Hussein to its knees, which we did, ultimately, um, and now they're coming up with a new one, which is called Third Offset, which is, you know, using uh, the latest technology, you know, drones, stealth planes, electromagnetic weapons, and, and stealth submarines, so as to reshape the armed forces. Uh, the, uh, the Navy and, and all the other branches of, of, uh, of the military. And that's what they're, they're involved in. I mean, after all, these are the guys who came up, who's, who are, these are the guys who are the reason why Eisenhower gave that famous speech about the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Now, Alex, you and I, we uh, both reside in uh, California, and a lot yeah. of people don't realize that... Um, California is a military-industrial complex hub, especially uh, El Segundo and Redondo Beach. Absolutely. Uh, which is not, not too far away from uh, Santa Monica. Um, but uh, in the uh, foothills uh, up there near um, uh, La Crescenta and that area, you have uh, NASA and, and JPL. Uh, That's correct. What, what role did, um, and Pasadena, what role did... Uh, RAN play with NASA and uh, JPL? Well, uh, RAN was uh, involved with NASA uh, at the beginning, and uh, with the same scientists, like I said, they were involved with uh, some of the uh, development of the first airship, the first satellites, but excuse me, the first interstellar. They came up with a plan for the first uh, interstellar uh, ship uh, actually drew up the plans for, for, you know, a rocket, basically, and also for satellites around the world, and they were involved in all that. Uh, but NASA then was developed when the government wanted to have more direct control over that. So what we've had then between RAN and uh, JPL and NASA is we have people who go back and forth, but they're not directly involved with NASA, per se. Chris? So they were probably the ones that came up with the whole Gulf of Tonkin uh, f- fake staged uh, attack f- by the well. Vietnam. There we go into historical speculation. I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not sure that I want to I want to touch that one. 
I mean, we know that something happened. We know that we got false reports. I'm not sure that it's been really uh, as certain to to this to this date exactly how and where and why it all happened. But we know it was fake, and that mm. Johnson, you know, jumped in that so as to be able to uh, to have an excuse to step up the war in Vietnam. That is for sure. In which, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Rand was involved with his studies, and and you know, Rand had its own little office out in. Uh, in, uh, in 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 Saigon, just like right now, happening in Qatar. One of its main centers uh, is in Qatar, which is right there in, in the Gulf states. I, I think you know, uh, just just on what you said there, real quick, and like I said, not to debate because we don't have time. But I think in that Fog of War movie by Errol Morris, that Rob Robert McNamara actually actually admits that nothing happened. Yes. Exactly. No, historians have, have concluded that nothing really happened. But how come it, what supposedly happened? I mean, in a sense, like there were some signals that were received, and there were either they were deliberately or uh, or by 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 chance misinterpreted by people who actually heard them. That's what's still you know up in the air. Obviously, yeah. something happened, and because they thought that something had happened, they went on and used that as an excuse. Uh, you know, but these things happen. It's just like, uh, for instance, the whole question with the uh, uh, supposedly the the advantage that uh, Soviet Union had over the United States in the late 1950s when it came to a number of missiles, the so-called missile gap, uh, which is one of the main arguments that can be used against um, Nixon. Nixon knew there was no such thing as a missile gap, but uh, Kennedy had been giving had been getting information from uh, Rand people, among them Wallstetter. Uh, about the supposed missile gap, uh, but it turned out there was no such missile gap. Actually, we have many more missiles than the Soviet Union ever did, but it didn't matter because you know that was one of the great arguments that Kennedy was able to use to uh, trounce uh, Nixon. That, and of course, in addition to his daddy's money, Nick Kennedy, that is. Yeah. Well, um, we're coming up on uh, 45, so I wanted to uh, give you some time, uh, like I told you before, that uh, you could talk about um, some of your current pursuits. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm working on right now, which I think maybe your, your listeners will, will find interesting whenever I finish the book, which is thank you some research. I'm, I'm, I'm doing research on this um, guy who was called uh, the Merchant of Death. Uh, he was an arms dealer. Uh, and uh, his name was Sarkis Saganalian, who was already passed on, but I interviewed him before he died, and he had some very, very interesting things to say, uh, most of which I thought at the time were preposterous until I realized that the guy was driving the money. And um, some, of the revel- some of the things that he said, especially about the Bush family, I think uh, if I can cooperate them, they will be very, very, very interesting. Um, to your listeners, and I think um, to most voters, especially in this uh, coming election year. So, Sarkis Aganalian, who was uh, a client of a good friend of mine, Mark uh, Gergos, the uh, the attorney. So, uh, Mark and I are working on this project. Interesting. Chris, do you have any more questions for uh, Alex? Well, I, d- I just wanted to... I, I heard this, I've heard this... Um, discussed about how uh you know, actual uh policies and legislation is is uh created and um you know there, there's been some public uh admissions that uh uh 
you know that the, the the Congress and the Senate they don't they don't read the bills that they uh, sign <laughs> off on. Okay, that's an open secret. Everybody knows that. I mean, they rely on their aides to read that if the aides read them at all. And what the uh, what the legislators read is just a summary. And so that so really that's where the legislation is mostly coming out of places like uh, Rand and maybe like Brookings Institute and. Uh, uh, some of these other council on foreign relations, council on foreign relations, yeah. and some of these other organizations. right, also right, also lobbyists as well. You know, who come in and you know they they have an in and uh, like Hastert right now, uh, you know, who turns out as he was going to give some guy that apparently, supposedly, reputedly he had abused or to keep him quiet, he was going to give him three and a half million dollars, right? And how did he get the money? The guy who used to be the speaker of the house because he became a lobbyist. You become a lobbyist, and then, you know, you, you get in touch. The company gets it, hires you to do something, and then you go back and you lobby. When you lobby legislators, you actually present them with the, you know, the rudiments of a bill that you'd like to see introduced. And, mm-hmm. you know, it goes back and forth. But, you know, guys, that's the American system. It's mm-hmm. always been like that. Actually, it used to be even more blatant than that. So, but that's the way it works. Lobbyists, you know, draft the bills and they give it to the legislator, and the, le- the legislator, you know, feels that it's it's of merit. You know, it says, okay, let's let's introduce it and see whether it flies. Right. Yeah. And then uh, it, it they're they're mainly then just sort of this um, ceremonial type figurehead type government that, but really behind the scenes is it's these uh, think tanks and these. Uh, um, you know, maybe there's uh, different think tanks and different organizations that kind of worked uh, the past of, uh, you know, particular corporations and, and all that. And, and I, I would guess, I would venture to guess that probably the the most, that uh, health care bill that it was, you know, they call it Obamacare, but I, I would I, I would venture to guess that it it's probably mainly made up by uh, pr- probably the Rand Corporation or some other similar um, or maybe a combination well, I, of or something. I'm not so certain that the Rand Corporation had a direct hand in that. Uh, you have to remember Obamacare, which let's call it what it is, uh, or, you know, which is it's, just, it's, all, it's the penultimate, I would say, step toward uh, universal health care uh, along the lines of uh, what, we, what they have in, uh, in Great Britain and in other countries. And it has been a democratic goal ever since, you know, the, the FDR administration to have that kind of thing. And many other presidents tried it. I mean, the last one to really try it big time was Clinton, and he couldn't get it through. And Obama did do it, but he did do it. And again, this goes back to what you were talking about, a lobbyist, uh, uh, and uh, because it had the backing of the pharmaceutical uh, industry. Uh, because they realized, hey, we can make more money out of this, so let's, why not? Let, let's go forward with this. So um, RAM itself was not directly involved, I don't believe, although some of its um, studies may have been used to as to um, uh, give some more substance to the proposals that were made by the government. But they weren't really at the table drafting these things. They were, as always, they were, as always, in the background. They were, they were, they're the guy who's actually... The way I see Rand is that he's the guy who approaches the senator when he's questioning somebody, and he's always whispering in his ear, and then gives him a piece of paper and points something out of the paper, and then the senator picks it up and says, oh, so-and-so, da-da-da-da-da-da. That's the way that I see Rand, and that's the way that they like to operate, because they want to shape policy and put it in the hand of those who can make that policy come to life. 
Well, there's right. there's such a revolving door between Rand and every everybody else. Is <laughs> it's it's uh it's almost like the people who work for Rand also shape the policy as well too in certain areas. So that's right, exactly. Uh, and it's been like that ever since the 1950s. That's very interesting, and this has been a very uh, interesting conversation. And oh, yeah. uh, Alex has, Alex has to go now, um, but I think. Uh, but uh, Chris and I will continue talking. Alex, we really thank you for being with us uh, today. And um, is there a website you want to plug or anything else that you want to leave us with before you go? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I'm also a novelist. So, you know, I'm also, I'm right now, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm putting finishing touches on, on a novel in early California. So, uh, so you can go to my website and uh, you know, alexabella.com. That's A-L-E-X-A-B-E-L-L-A.com. And, you know, check out some of my books. And, you know, if you like it, you know, buy it. If not, hey, at least take a look. Uh, maybe uh, you'll be entertained or learn something. Anyhow, so I, I, it's been a pleasure being with you. Yeah, yeah it's been it. a pleasure having you. And um, I would say uh, definitely purchase uh, so- Soldiers of Reason. Um, it's a good thing to have uh, in your uh, library for reference. And there's just lots of little uh there's just little pieces of information in there that, that would just blow your mind. I, I have to mm. say, it's a, it's a really good book. So, well, thank you, Chris. Chris, you have anything real quick? Um, uh, that's all I have for now. Maybe uh, Alex could come on uh, again in the future, and then we could talk a little bit longer because I'm sure I could come up with like 500 more questions. I'm sure. <laughs> no problem. It'd be my pleasure. All right, thank you, guys. Thank you for having okay. me. Okay. Great. Good talk call. to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Well, Chris, what do you think of that interview? Yeah, I thought that was good. I I uh, was aware of, uh, of some of that. I, I, I didn't know, like, uh, about the Internet and uh, the, you know, light satellites and, and all that coming out of Rand Corporation. I, I, I never heard that brought out before but uh um yeah maybe i need to take a look at that book and check that out that sounds interesting it but you know it kind of goes along with you know you listen to alan watt and he he brings that up you know from time to time how it is these uh think tanks and they and they work in shifts around the clock i don't know about rand corporation I i would surmise that they do and uh they just come up you know they're they're i i i believe that they they're you know that this is where laws are you know legislation is uh brought into being and um now something like the health care bill um like alex said you know they, they probably had some influence on it they probably didn't draft it but i i, I would um i would guess that what happens is that uh that that you know that healthcare legislation has probably been around for decades in in various forms, and then it gets probably makes the rounds through different uh, think tanks and different organizations and gets revised and then updated, and it will it'll go through this like multi-decade process, and yeah. then uh, then they say um, okay, well we got this you know Democrat. We were a guy with a D in front of his name. So, and then, you know, we're ready to roll this out. We're going to roll this, this, and that out during his administration. 
and well, the, I, I yeah. think I think the healthcare is I, to go along with what you're saying, uh, but I I think the healthcare is a perfect example of how they don't fully totally control all the strings all the time. I think they control all the strings. Not, and I'm not saying the Rand Corporation. I'm saying uh, the controllers behind the scenes. Um, but they don't control all the strings all the time because I think they, if they could have gotten the healthcare passed under the Clintons, that they that, that they would have, you know. Oh, you think so? I I, I don't know if um, you know they they made a kind of big deal about uh, Hillary Clinton being the healthcare czar and all that, and that was kind of a. Um, sort of a precedent-setting thing where, you know, the first lady was actually going to be actively involved in legislation and this and that and the other thing. And um, and then now you see they're kind of popping Hillary up to, you know, potentially be president. And I and I and the way I look at it is, like, you'll know if, okay, so she's, the, we got a Democrat incumbent, and then she's uh, in the running. And if they, if you know for a fact, if they start putting out, that the economy is, uh, you know, recovering, and then you know everything is looking good, and then you know Obama, of course, is going to take uh, the credit, and that's his legacy. Then you you just get ready for Hillary Clinton to be president because it's it's a it's a pretty much a done deal. But if the opposite happens, I think I think it's probably not to be. But it, the reason why I think it's interesting is, you know, they're going to have her. Potentially, I don't know if that was really the the game plan or what, but it's interesting that now that this has been implemented, that she could potentially be the next uh, president. You know what I mean? So that so that oh, yeah, she yeah. will be there to bump it up to whatever next level that it's going to be going through. Whatever Absolutely. phase. Absolutely. Yeah. The well, um, what I was going to say is, you know. Is that you know these think tanks and especially Rand? I mean, there's another there's another book uh, written on what I would call the the South Bay of Los Angeles military industrial complex, uh, and it's called uh, Secret Empire. It's by Philip Taubman, I think his last name is, and it came out in like 2001 or two. It came out right, like after 9/11, and um, and so it had a lot of in- interesting information. I think it even had the information about the Rand, Rand uh, starting the internet in there. And um, and so I, I think a lot of those stuff, particular to Rand, is psych is psych warfare techniques. Obviously, I don't believe that you know there was a there was a real Cold War threat. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Russians and the Russians and the Americans that they're you know they're buddies. Like, like, yeah. like Peter Wright said, like Peter Wright said in Spycatcher. So, um, you know, what I mean, if, if they were such a threat, why was Khrushchev coming over to Hollywood and hanging out with Marilyn Monroe and Frank Sinatra? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a dialectic, man. It's the East-West. So, so, it's, a dial- so Rand, it's a dialectic process. Yeah. Yeah. So Rand puts out these scenarios to military and civilians alike, and sees how they react to them. You know, the military, I think Rand, one of the things that they primarily were, and I gathered it from uh, reading Alex's book, is that they do psych warfare on on the military. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I th- you know, I think you, know, you, 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 you speak to somebody like Alex or you speak to some, or a lot of people out there that have, you know, really knowledgeable about, about these organizations and how they operate and stuff like that. Um, I think they, they just really give a short shrift to the whole, uh, the, the concept of perception management and psychological operations and how, um, that, uh, you know, you, you, you're shaping, the public minds, you know, you're shaping the public mind or the mass mind. And um, in order to accomplish that goal, you just need to create the perception of a, you know, a particular set of circumstances or um, a, 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 an alleged event, just like Gulf of Tonkin never happened. And like Alex knows that, and m- most people, I think, that have have any kind of interest at all in any kind of uh, uh, glo- global uh, politics or anything like that, history or whatever, they're going to know that Gulf of Tonkin was, was staged and fake. Um, but then it is, you know, used as an excuse to enter in the war. So, so that, you know, tells you that all they need is some sort of backstory to, um, and then they, you know, they come up with that as a, uh, you know, pretext for, whatever action they want to to take in whatever part of the world and it it doesn't necessarily require anything to actually occur it's just the perception that it occurred that's right yeah it's and and uh all that information in that book uh led me as a reader of of the book uh more more along the lines of wow this is this really is about perception management and that's what these guys are studying they're studying the perception of the public to the studies that they publish and, and the perception of the military to the studies that they publish as well. And so, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, Jay uh, Dyer had, had, had a good um, article up on his website about uh, Jade Helm 15 being a PSYOP. Did you see that? I sent that to you. Uh, I don't know if I read that uh, yet. Yeah, I'll, re- but, I'll check but, that yeah, out. Yeah, but it, it was a it was a really good article detailing how not only is Jade Helm a psyop on the public who's pers- you know and you know as it's going through the filter of the alternative media that you're going to be scared that we're going to get you know martial law through the Jade Helm 15 exercise or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but it's also psych it's also a psyop on the military too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To see what they're how they react to to something like that, and to see how they react to the public's perception of it being something that could potentially turn into martial law. <laughs> yeah. Just um, you know, test run uh, a study, but then it it uh, lends credence to the idea of you know what, a lot of stuff like Alex Jones talks about, even though it's not living up to. Well, it's, I would say it's not going to live up to the hype that he's giving it, but uh, it, it does seem to be... I, I, you can't deny that there's this process that's underway to to get people acclimated to the um, militarized police and the, and, the, and the military be involved in police action and stuff like that. I mean, you really can't deny that. But um, what? how is that going to... Uh, 
what is that going to, how is that going to manifest itself? Or in other words, how is, how is it going to really play out? I mean, is the scenario of, oh, they're going to be used to um, systematically go to door to door and disarm people and then maybe haul people off to FEMA camps that resist or something like that? Is that something that's in the works or is it something maybe entirely different than or not even really um, have any good analysis on? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it could be something that, you know, analysis hasn't even been uh, provided, um, whereas it's something to scare you, to keep you isolated and keep you indoors watching television all the time because you're too scared to go outside, and that might even be the best-kept slave possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely, that's... I think that's the ultimate goal is, you know, and then that's back to the, you know, term perception management. If, if, if that can be, uh, that perception can be created that, uh, you know, there's this justification for this military presence and then, you know, they, it, there, you know, there is going to be this military presence and stuff like that gauge reactions to it. And then, um, you know, develop some kind of uh, future scenario based on that. But, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that when you see that stuff happening means it's, oh, it's, it's you know, it's going down and we need to, you know, buy uh, freeze-dried, you know, soup or whatever. That's right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that because the RAND Corporation put out a study on the Soviets' potential nuclear threat that there was, a nuclear threat at all no there wasn't a no. nuclear threat no it's just but, but and, then, and, yeah oh just real quick yeah i was going to say that um that you got to look at it too that the soviets were running psych warfare on their public as well so right they they you know they helped each other out whereas the soviet the commies were the boogeyman for uh uh, were the boogeyman for America. America was the boogeyman for the for the people living in the Soviet Union under communism. Yeah, and then they're both sides at the top are just engaged in herd management, and then you manage the herd by keeping them afraid. And then uh, you know I, I went into this before with uh, talking about Kennedy's you know so called secret society speech where he's supposedly um, outing the Masons and the, you know, secret cabals that actually, which, which I, I don't, I, I don't interpret that speech in that way at all. I, I think um, it, it is just, it, it was, that speech could be, you know, used by Obama and just, you know, swap out the, uh, the KGB and the Kremlin for, for ISIS. Same thing. Yep. The same thing that was going yep. on then that is going on today, and that's what people need to look at. Is that they're, they're just running the same program on us, and they're just changing they up really, the names. Same they really exact are. Thing. I mean, Putin is Khrushchev. Putin is Stalin. Yeah, uh, it's Russia too. It's still Russia uh, on some. Still level. Russia. I mean, just a couple of uh, what, what, when this when this whole Russia thing started up a couple of years ago, maybe even a year ago. I remember we we had a talk not too long ago about it, where it was like, where it was like, dude, we are literally watching 
be like through the news cycle and through the propaganda a new cold war being born and we can you know we can actually view this happening from an outside perspective and then literally no joke all of a sudden people at my work are talking about oh oh russia 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 oh there's a threat from russia i'm like are you are you crazy (laughs) (laughs) do you not know don't you know what the cold war was (laughs) so yeah, it um, yeah, it never ends. They just keep rinsing and repeating the same cycle over and over and over. And then you know because it works. Because it works. Yeah, it's really effective. And then what else can they do? They could, um, you know, they can run these scams, and then uh, they they can you know declare national security on everything so that it you know everything stays compartmentalized and in secret. And then everybody goes along with it, doesn't ask too many questions, doesn't really um, look into anything that's actually going on because it's it's all, you know, fear based. You know, if if we you know if we disclose this information, the Ru- Russians are going to kill us all. And it's the same same bullshit that's going on going on today with the whole terrorist threat nonsense. Except for it seems to be uh, a lot of the transformations that are happening in 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 the country the united states seem to be um a a lot more um focused on uh keeping people in in this perpetual state of fear and uh submission you know to uh these outside threats so threats that don't even exist in the country even if they but even if they, I don't even, I doubt they even exist outside of the country. So, but I'll tell you what, uh, I I am going to be a threat to uh, the chicken that's waiting for me on the dinner table right now. So, yeah, sounds pretty good. I have, I have uh, pulled into my driveway, and um, once again, I w- want to thank Alex Abea for joining us on the afternoon commute. And uh, yeah, pick up a copy or go to your local library. Uh, uh, check out that book, Soldiers of Reason. Like I said, it's got a lot of good nuggets of information in there. And um, we will uh, see you next month on the afternoon commute because Chris will be too busy sunbathing in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, I'll be uh, in San Diego till the 27th of this month and then we'll be back in the back in the program after that hopefully and yep. uh so they uh that's uh that's what's that's what the itinerary says so see how that works out right on all right my friend well um keep my number handy while you're out here and uh try to figure something out yeah, yeah, maybe we're going to meet up, man. That'd be cool. Have a have a, a safe uh, trip. Okay, appreciate it, bro. Thanks. All right, have dude, talk to you later. Later. Bye. Bye.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.